Today's episode is one you're going to want to share with your spouse because I'm talking about kids, dads, and consequences. That and the secret to breaking the four-minute mile, and they're even related. Welcome to season two of the Essential Stepmom podcast. I'm Tracy, and I'll be your guide for this unconventional look at what I call the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why do I favor an unconventional approach to being a stepmom? It's probably because I'm something of an outlier in everything I do, but mostly it's because there's a scary statistic looming over every one of our homes, like the mythical sword of Damocles, showing that nearly three quarters of step families don't last more than five years. What that tells me is that the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo, are all things that are leading stepmoms in obedient herds straight for the gutter. If you want to buck the trend and stay in the game, you need to think differently. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well, and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey with us. Welcome to the new normal. Today, I'm going to start digging into some very rich territory for step families, which is all the ways that parenting changes forever after divorce. We spend so much freaking energy, both stepmoms and the bio dads, trying to make it all somehow stay the same. And it's just not. We keep on trying to squeeze our square peg stepfamily into that smooth, round, traditional nuclear family hole. And when it doesn't fit, we think we're just not trying hard enough. Trying to make it fit, that is, using the same strategies that already aren't working. Some women get together with a single dad and they think they're just going to sail into some version of parenthood that's going to be pretty much like it would have been if they just woke up after several years in a coma and learned that they had a couple of kids. They wonder why they can't just put on the apron and be the mom. And they're constantly stepping into a hole in the sidewalk that they didn't expect to be there. Some single dads think that as soon as they have a new girlfriend or wife on the scene, things will go back to some kind of normal and they can have a family again. In this fantasy, he shares all of his parenting with this new woman, 50-50, just like before. Sounds fair, no? Not if you're a kid, a kid with the power to say no, or I don't have to listen to you. I'm gonna digress for a moment to tell a story. It's one you might've heard before. Roger Bannister, was a middle distance runner and a medical doctor, by the way, if you didn't know about that, who was the first human being to run a mile in under four minutes. It was a very, very big deal. This has been described as the holy grail of athletic achievement. Every serious runner in the world had been trying to do it for almost a hundred years when Bannister crossed the finish line on May the 6th, 1954, with a time of three minutes 59.4 seconds. And here's where it gets really interesting. As soon as one person had done it, someone else was able to do it just weeks later. And after him, 
Three people in a single race broke a four-minute mile. And on and on. Once someone showed that it could be done, people believed it was possible, and it was possible. So back to stepkids. It's not 1954 anymore in family dynamics either. The cat is out of the bag, so to speak. Parents no longer have free reign to use corporal punishment on their kids because child beating is both illegal and out of fashion in most places. But the flip side is that kids now actually know that they don't have to listen to you. It wasn't a thing 65 years ago, but it is now. Kids get messages from the media all day long, directly and through their friends, reinforcing the idea that they don't have to listen to mom or dad. But here's the thing. They still really do want to believe that you're the boss. So you can't beat it into them, and I don't even really think that anyone should. But that means that you need another approach. By the way, Roger Bannister took another approach to break the four-minute mile. Here's what I read about him in the Harvard Business Review in an article by Bill Taylor. The British press constantly ran stories criticizing his lone wolf approach, notes John Bryant in his book 359.4, and urged him to adopt a more conventional regimen of training and coaching. So that begs the question, why doesn't everyone just take another approach? I mean, why isn't everyone listening to this podcast, just for instance? I think partly people are such social creatures. We want more to be like everyone else than to be unlike them. And another problem is what's being called plan continuation bias. That's the tremendous force of inertia we feel about changing our minds or changing direction once we've started something. I've mentioned this podcast before, but I'm going to point you all towards a fantastic series by Tim Harford called Cautionary Tales, or Cautionary Tales, the way he says it in his delightful accent. Every single episode has a lesson for us about how smart people can mess up and miss the boat, or even dash it on the rocks in one case, when they can't step back and assume that their approach is what needs to take to change. Plan continuation bias is defined as the tendency of people to continue with an original course of action despite changing conditions. You can Google this, it's a well-known term in the field of psychology. Tim Harford describes a dramatic scene in a hospital emergency room where a team of three doctors and five nurses are scrambling to save a small boy with asthma who's having trouble breathing. As the events unfold, the boy fails to respond to his oxygen mask, eventually losing consciousness, and his heart stops. The medical crew try one thing after another, intubation, CPR, whatever medical tools they can bring to the table. After 10 minutes, they're at a loss to save his life. Thankfully, at this point, Tim lets us in on the secret. It's a test, and the boy is actually a medical dummy. It was a test of how teams function under certain kinds of stress, And in this case, the team was supposed to notice that the breathing apparatus was broken. The oxygen mask was not delivering oxygen, nor was the breathing tube. 
This experiment was apparently repeated 19 times with different teams. A few of the teams caught on right away, while others couldn't see it at all. And that brings me right back to the subject of this podcast. Three quarters of step parenting teams keep persisting in thinking that something fundamental about raising kids still applies to this novel situation. They stick with it all the way until they hear the long beep of a flatlining marriage to say, we tried everything and nothing worked. This truly is a novel situation. It's something new. You may have heard me say before that the modern step family, the one with kids actually living in two homes, has never existed before as a significant social construct anywhere on the planet in the history of mankind before now. The first laws pertaining to joint physical custody of children after divorce are barely 40 years old. And already, there are an estimated 12 million step families in the U.S. alone. And this podcast is being heard in 36 countries, so I'm pretty sure that our situation is a global one. Of course, many things are different, but some things must be the same. Kids are still kids. Mothers are still mothers. Fathers are still fathers. What has changed is the introduction of a a new kind of parent, and nobody knows what to expect from them, least of all the step-parents themselves. Of course, we hear beautiful stories of a loving bond, of stepdads who bravely replace the missing father figure and raise another man's kids as their own. And kudos to those guys. I have nothing against situations that work out and make everyone happy. It's just that what I hear about most in my work is the complicated situations where nobody can figure out how to be happy. And that's what I want to address. One of the biggest issues in a step family that I keep running across in my practice is finding an effective way for the biological parent to maintain authority without becoming a bad guy who the kids have this newfound power to actually literally reject almost as easily as they can decide not to eat their broccoli. Because they can say they don't want to visit dad. And unless their mom, their biological mom, is committed to cooperative co-parenting, she might actually be thrilled because it matches how she feels about that guy. She might not be a total B-word, as my stepson used to say, but it sort of makes sense to her because she doesn't like him much either, so she's likely to agree with the kids. And if there's no ironclad visitation agreement in place, the kids will get a lot of positive attention around this new development. So how does a dad stay in control when he's afraid of being rejected consciously or unconsciously? And what if he's not afraid, but just at the mercy of a bio mom who might use the slightest misstep against him, either in a court of law or the court of public opinion? There are three steps to staying in control of your parent-child relationship as a divorced and repartnered dad, and those are mindset, strategy, and tools. I know that might sound kind of like a business model, and it is but it totally applies here. The mindset shift you need to make is this. Start thinking about parenting as leadership and discipline more as a leadership issue than a control issue. 
You need to base the leadership of your family on your important values, of course. And that's something we'll get into in more detail in a future podcast. But for the time being, let's just assume that integrity is an important value for you. Integrity means you want to walk your talk. You want to do what you say you're going to do. And that is going to be at the core of everything you do in your family. Your kids are going to grow up with a clear sense of being led into adulthood by someone of integrity. This is the thing that will attract them to you and make them seek your approval. So when you discipline your kids, you don't need to be mean or harsh or fearsome. You need to be absolutely consistent. Discipline is not actually about teaching your kids right from wrong. Does that surprise you? You can teach right from wrong with a conversation, with books and stories, by watching movies and talking about them. The truth is, for most things, they pretty much know what's right and wrong already. Like, do they think they're actually supposed to jump on the sofa? Haven't you told them that a million times already? I think they're looking to see how you react when they do something wrong. They want to see what you're made of, if you're strong enough to handle them, if you're smart enough to figure out what to do. So here's the strategy piece. When it's time for discipline, let go of punishment and embrace consequence, meaning if you do that, this is going to happen. And it's critically important to choose a consequence that you as a parent are going to be okay with. Instead of going for the jugular and picking a consequence that makes you feel better because it shows that you mean business, find something that the child can't easily complain about to mom. And that's because the consequence belongs to your relationship with the child and not their relationship to their own stuff. This strategy will require that you build up a repertoire of things to use as consequences that belong exclusively to you and your child. Identify some things that you already do with your child or new opportunities where you can build in extras, things that aren't exactly required elements of your connection with the child, but are sort of add-ons, things that won't seem very important to bio mom, so she can't get worked up about them, but things that are significant for the child. For example, it's a great thing to read to your child at bedtime. And if they're extra good, you'll read an extra story or an extra five minutes or an extra page, whatever you like. And if they don't listen when you tell them something, they're not getting that extra story. And you don't take away all the stories because it's not necessary. And it's just shooting yourself in the foot because you're losing some good connection time with them. They just know that you're gonna do what you say you'll do, and that is the entire purpose. They don't have to go to bed without dinner, but they can go without dessert for sure. Dessert serves the purpose. If it's movie night, you don't have to cancel the movie if they're not good, but they can earn the popcorn by doing what they're asked to do, and you can take it away if they don't. The message is received. You are reliable. Slowly over time, they'll believe that you'll do what you say. I'm going to give you some real life examples that come from my husband. And I confess I'm using him because I was hopeless at this when my daughter was little. She really tested me around age four or so. 
And I was just helpless with rage and frustration and no tools at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure I cried when I just felt defeated by her refusal to do what I wanted her to do. And I'm not proud to say that I think I eventually used emotional blackmail on her out of sheer impotence. My husband, on the other hand, is not a big man and he speaks with a relatively quiet voice, yet he's perceived as an authority. He credits his older brother with giving him the parenting advice that got him through the difficult years. His brother, after having four children by the age of 25 and becoming a single custodial father by age 40, became a leader in the field of psychoeducation. He works with troubled youth in educational facilities within the justice system. He always said, just do what you say you're going to do. Never make threats you won't follow through with. You remember, um, my husband really took this advice to heart and he became a paragon of consistency with his children. Don't get me wrong here. His kids were spectacularly badly behaved on many occasions. And I've seen him lose patience with them many times, but I don't remember him ever actually punishing his kids. They just learned over time that he was indeed going to follow through with whatever consequence. Yes, he did in fact turn off the power to his son's bedroom when he refused to observe the 11 p.m. cutoff time for video games. He didn't fight with him about it. He just told him what would happen and then he did it. And he only had to do it once for it to become family lore. Years later, when my youngest stepkid moved in with us, I heard her tell her online gaming friends, okay, I have to stop the game now because my dad is totally going to turn off the internet at 11 o'clock. So you see, it doesn't really take much once they know that you mean business. So we talked about mindset and strategy. Now we're going to talk about tools. These are the actual carrots and sticks that you're going to use to get your kids to respect your authority. And it won't happen overnight, but that's okay because you have years and years to develop your leadership skills. So I'll give you some specific tips from my husband to serve as inspiration. When his kids were little, he would threaten them by taking off one of his smelly Birkenstock sandals, wave it ferociously in the air and tell them that whoever didn't stop jumping on the sofa or whatever it was, would get this smelly sandal held right up to their nose. It would cause a lot of laughing and shouts of, oh no, dad, that's too stinky, gross and so on and so on. But he was making his point and the behavior would eventually stop. As I recall, their mom didn't like this much, but it's not something you wanna like take to court. And one year at Christmas time, when his three small kids were getting more and more wound up the closer it got to the big day, their mom would sometimes get exasperated and say, if you guys don't smarten up this instant, you're not getting any presents. He would privately correct her saying, you know, that's ridiculous. You're not gonna actually do that and you know it. And they know it too. So instead he told them, if you guys can get along without fighting until Christmas morning, we'll open your presents as soon as you wake up. 
but every time I have to give you a warning or break up a fight between now and then, you're going to add 15 minutes onto the waiting time to open your gifts. And on Christmas morning, the kids sat in front of the tree for a whole hour, just drooling over the boxes in shiny paper, desperate to see what was inside before they were allowed to finally unwrap them. And you better believe they learned that their dad does exactly what he says he's going to do. And it was easy for dad to do it because it was almost like a game. They had forfeited something that they would have won if they'd been good. They didn't lose something that had been promised to them without any requirements about behavior, like the actual presence. Another time, he offered to take them out for ice cream if they did their homework by supper time. And when it was time for dessert, they all got in the car and drove to the ice cream shop. But only the little sister got ice cream on this occasion because her brothers didn't do what they were supposed to do, and she did. And again, they watched her eat an ice cream and knew that they're dead. I know, some of you are saying, yeah, what about the 45-minute tantrums that my kid throws every time he has to face any kind of limit whatsoever? I'm stuck giving in or else it derails our entire life several times a day. Well, that's a different kind of problem, but there are creative solutions for that as well. There's not enough time in a single podcast to tackle the problem of kids with significant issues regulating their emotions or behavior. I'll just tell you that I'm a big fan of the work of Ross Green, author of a book called The Explosive Child, and you can look into his methods at his website, livesinthebalance.org. Another place to look for fantastic solutions to tantrums is handinhandparenting.org. Founder Patty Whitfler is a genius, and I can't say enough about how her approach has changed my thinking about the power of discipline to actually heal emotional wounds. Go ahead and check those out, handinhandparenting.org and livesinthebalance.org. So here's a quick recap. The secret to success at anything, whether it's running faster or parenting in a new family dynamic, is to be able to recognize when a novel situation requires you to adapt your mindset and your strategies and to gather new tools. Change your mindset. Discipline is not about showing your muscle. It's about showing kids who you are that you are someone who can be counted on to do what you say you're gonna do every time. And that creates a sense of safety and it's what makes you irresistible as a parent. Adopt a strategy of making it easier for yourself to follow through because the only important thing about a consequence is that it's something you'll really do. And finally, fill up your toolbox with better carrots and sticks. You need things that only belong to your child's world with you and not with their mom, so they have less to complain to her about. I hope this is helpful. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing, alternative-thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. According to Anchor FM, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 36 countries. I find that really exciting. 
If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here 